Hello, everybody. This is the March episode of Jazz Talk Seattle. My name is Josh. And my name is Max. And here in the studio, we have the fantabulous Ray Larson, trumpet player, extraordinaire, composer, arranger, band leader. What else do you do, Ray? Oh, gosh, I teach a lot. That's right. You teach mm -hmm. at uh, Cornish, right? That's and true. also the Meridian School. That's Are you true. still there? Yep. Mm -hmm. Cool. And I assume you've got a whole stable full of private students as well. I have a few private students, too. I used to teach more cool. on the side, but less now. Are you at Roosevelt uh, High School as well? No, but no. I have done some work there. Oh, okay. And you're doing a, maybe some singer-songwriter stuff, too. Yes, I am. Yeah. My first Quite a few know, things. projects. We will get to that in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the reason we brought Ray into the studio this month is because you just released um, a new record um, a couple months ago, is that right? Mm -hmm. For a project called Tyrant Lizard. And uh, that band, if I remember right, it's got Carmen Rothwell on bass and Greg Belalchi on guitar. Correct. Right? Cool. So they moved to New York a little while ago, and this is your second album, which came out after they moved. How does that work? Well, uh, we had we had a, that band going on for at least a couple years here in town, and we had enough of, a, I think, momentum by the time that they moved that it felt right to continue the band, even though we were sort of on two different coasts. So um, I did fly out there maybe f four times or something in a year, mm -hmm. which was great for me because I hadn't spent a whole lot of time in New York, and it was cool. To Were you gigging out there, too? I did a little bit. So we played a house show, and then another time we went out there, we played at this place called Three's Brewing, which mm -hmm. is in a brewery in um, Brooklyn. Um, so we lined up some gigs, but uh, also we're just uh, rehearsing this new material that I had written cool. and sort of preparing for recording it so it was in a way partly a, a excuse for me to be going to new york and hanging and and listening and then also a reason to keep playing with them and uh and working on this new stuff yeah definitely did you um send them sheet music ahead of time or did you send them demos or how does that how do you do you go about communicating your musical ideas before you met up with them i don't think i sent anything before i showed up i think i just kind of like worked on it on my own had it all charted out and then went over there and we all we kind of the first time i went i think i had three things and the next time i had another five things or something like that and then and then we ended up i think recording five of them and then Greg had written something that we recorded, and then cool. we did a couple covers that I had had arranged. Nice. Way cool. So you're effectively the leader, kind of, of Tyrant Lizard. Yeah, and that came about kind of organically. We started as more of a trio, and <clears throat> Greg and I were grad students at the UW at the time, and Carmen had just graduated uh, the UW. And we started by playing stuff, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of covers of jazz standards or um, things that were a little bit more on the American popular vein or like mm -hmm. we played Shenandoah which uh, oh, yeah. was on our first album which is an American folk song we kind of just anything that felt like it fit our sound we would we would play and uh, but we were all writing some stuff but uh, ultimately I ended up writing the bulk of it and we sort of transition into that and correct me if i'm wrong but you not only wrote most of the music but you also designed the artwork that's true yeah I love the artwork. Thank you. It is really cool, and it features a dinosaur, and I think, or, mm -hmm. well, turtle kind of dinosaur, and then yes. a dinosaur. Um, I have to ask where Tyrant Lizard came from. There's, well, like, two or three dinosaur songs on the two records. Yeah. And the like there's a, the... Yeah, there's definitely a theme here. There is and, certainly uh, a dinosaur I want to know theme. where this is coming from. Well, uh, Tyrant Lizard is the English translation of Tyrannosaurus. 
So as in Tyrannosaurus Rex, Mm -hmm. of course. So um, I actually, I think that that name came from Carmen's senior recital at the UW, which Greg and I played on. And for whatever reason, uh, she was serving like cookies or something afterwards. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And her mom had found these napkins from her childhood that had uh, um, T-Rexes on them. And it said something like... Carmen's childhood or Carmen's, Carmen's mom's childhood? Okay. From Carmen's, Carmen's childhood. childhood, yeah. And for those and who it, don't know, Carmen is famous for making cookies. That's true, yeah. I didn't know that. <clears throat> now you do. That's good to know. Yeah, Carmen, if you're listening, we're expecting cookies sometime. Yes. You, you can send them from New York. They'll probably yeah. stay good. <laughs> um, so these napkins said, had a uh, T-Rex on them and said, T-Rex, king of the tyrant lizards. Um, and it was one of those moments where we were like, oh, that sounds like a cool band name. <laughs> and we were, we had just kind of started this group up and we were sort of looking for a band name and it just became kind of a joke. And then, mm-hmm. and then it, and then it became the real band name, which is funny because the music has always been very kind of warm and lush and slow and ballady and rubato and that sort of thing. And that's a bit of a, a you know, opposite from, from the name, which sounds very aggressive and, yeah and whatever and actually uh, I remember an early concert of ours someone came up and said your band name just really doesn't fit your music and we were sort of like <laughs> okay that's fine <laughs> well I was also wondering I mean not to go too far into this but uh, there's a song called Brontosaurus Island that I really like but on the cover of this record it looks like there's a big turtle on an island mm-hmm. is that a brontosaurus in a shell or is it a turtle that is a turtle that is actually Lonesome George which is Oh. The title character of another track on there. Lonesome George was a, a real-life Galapagos tortoise. He was a Pinta Island tortoise, and he was the very last of his subspecies. Whoa. And he became a sort of a rallying cry for um, biologic conservation, uh, sort of a famous figurehead of, of, of you know, conserving ecosystems and stuff because he lived, I think, something like 40 years on his own as the only the only member of his species um wow and uh i don't know what a lonely existence that's that's the story behind that but so did you write this tune with the turtle in mind or how how did how did that work out well i wrote the tune and i think then the turtle kind of came to mind it was sort of like a, a bit of a plotting but somewhat cheerful tune and i thought you know i i've always felt you know ever since i heard about this real life tortoise that it was. It sounds like a lonely existence, but probably he was just living his life like any other tortoise. <laughs> I don't know. He was a very you know old age tortoise when he was the only one yeah. left, and um, he was also I think very doted upon. Mm. Because, Understandably, yeah, because he was famous. So I don't know, but uh, I thought it was maybe a good fit. That's cool. Yeah, I like this tune a lot in particular. Um, I hear. Um, a lot of counterpoint, especially between you and the guitar um, with Greg. And uh, tell me a bit about how you came about um, figuring that out, that balance between um, the two melodies that just kind of weave in and out of each other. Yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of that kind of thing, I guess, on the album. And usually it starts with just one little fragment, one, one melody or just one even motif or something. Mm-hmm. And then I, I set out on a lot of tunes to write pretty contrapuntally. Um, and that tune in particular, I think, is interesting because there's a lot of different time shifts, but that's not really 
um, to me that just kind of came about organically based on how the melody was was feeling to me I didn't I didn't mm-hmm. think like oh, I want to write two bars of four four and then three four and then mm-hmm. and then we'll do like a five four measure with you know that kind of definitely thing. it doesn't feel forced and I've brought it into some some other groups before just to try it out and usually people glance at it first and they're like oh it's a lot of time time changes <laughs> here but actually I think as soon as you hear the melody it it just feels very fluid and and natural um, and I think that the the counterpoint uh, definitely contributes to that too. Anytime there's a, sort of like a long note in the trumpet line, mm-hmm. there's an, an answering phrase in the other parts. That is it something that you intentionally wrote in, or is it something that you kind of figured out as you brought it to the group? I guess. Well, I had for this particular album, I had pretty much fleshed everything out or most things out before we had ever read it, just because of time constraints. Right. And in, in the past, when we were all living here, a lot of times I would start a tune and bring it in. Uh, before it was really finished, and we'd kind of finish it together. Mm-hmm. But in this case, pretty much all of it was was already figured out um, ahead of time, which I think is makes the album feel pretty different than the first one because there is a little bit more counterpoint and a little bit more design to the yeah. to the way the parts fit together. That's cool. Yeah, I I love the way that the rhythm <clears throat> is um, kind of punched in throughout this pretty much the whole record actually when i was listening to this um i listened to the whole record a couple times and it actually kind of felt like i was listening to a suite Mm. like the whole thing i really like how it's um composed in terms of song order and and was that intentional like kind of you wanted to make a picture with the song layering and everything yeah, certainly. I, I mean, I I think writing it, I wasn't trying to fit them together into like an album. But certainly once it was all done, I spent quite a lot of time trying to figure out the kind of narrative arc between all the tracks. And I, to me, that's a pretty important part of all the albums that I've yeah. ever made to this point, is trying to make it flow and feel like a concise, cohesive thing. It's kind of a, becoming a lost art these days with more and more people just doing singles instead of albums. Yeah, I feel that way too. Yeah, it was a really nice treat. I was like, oh wow, this is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of people have uh, encouraged me to just put out singles as more of a, a better like marketing strategy right. because I think a lot of people listen a little more that way. They, they like to have things, uh, just one little thing coming at them uh, at different right. times. But I think I just really enjoy putting out a body of work, uh, you know, at a time, dropping a, a whole statement. And I guess I would really lament the fact that if if people stopped putting out albums altogether and only did singles, it feels like, I don't know, it feels like only short stories and magazines are coming out now and you don't get novels anymore. Mm, and yeah. it's not that singles can't be good releases. No, not uh, at all. But the album is just such an important art form in and of itself that I I think it would be really sad to lose that. Yeah. It seems interesting. I'm not much of a historian in that kind of thing, but uh, I, th- I believe that it's the sort of album as its own work of art is a pretty pretty new invention too, like mid mid 1900s or something that before that it was it was a collection of tracks you know yeah although i suppose if you go far enough back musical works tended to be a bit longer as well true which can kind of almost take the place of that maybe mm-hmm. you're using it like classic like, yeah, like sort of classical, classical works music and, yeah, yeah, yeah more through composed things in yeah, general certainly yeah mm-hmm. that's true 
Cool. Well, Lonesome George <clears throat> sounded pretty good to me. Why don't we give our listeners a chance to listen to it as well? Sure. Okay, here we go. That was Lonesome George. That was so pretty. Thank, Thank you. you, Ray, for Thank writing you. that and playing that. My pleasure. Um, I noticed as we were uh, preparing for this episode that you don't have your track up on Spotify, Google Play, these kinds of streaming services. Is that right? Correct. Was that an intentional that you're not doing that or you just haven't got around to it? Or It's a little bit of negligence. I have actually <laughs> for a while it was a personal stand that I was trying to make but ultimately I asked myself the question is my goal to be making money off of this stuff or am I making music for people to hear it? And the you know the real hard truth I think is that most people are listening in that sort of format mm -hmm. um, and I make my music for people to hear it so um, I did actually uh, register with um, I forget which streaming I forget which digital distributor I ended up choosing but uh, they had a sale at the time or whatever mm -hmm. and uh, I just never got around to actually uploading the music sure. so I, I, I made like a placeholder account and like set it all up for all the albums and they're coming <laughs> Uh, maybe tonight. You've you've jogged my memory. I'll go home and upload them. Fair enough. So if somebody wants to listen to these records and uh, or listen to the rest of this record mm -hmm. and because they're so excited about what they just heard, what's the best way for them to do that? I'm a big fan of Bandcamp and all this music's on, on Bandcamp. Bandcamp is awesome. Yeah, it's really great. And uh, it is a streaming service, but it also is a way for you to purchase the album. And usually for, depending on, you know what album you're listening to and whose artist uh 
you can pay what you will for a lot of them or mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing so there's a lot of cool models on there yeah, yeah. it's a good system yeah. they support musicians really well yeah I, I assume you guys use Bandcamp too oh yeah mm-hmm. also it takes about two weeks for anything to show up on streaming so probably won't be there by the time this comes out that's true <clears throat> but in the future cool yeah so I noticed that uh, one of the things that you're playing with on this record is effects with a uh-huh. trumpet. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? What kinds of effects you use, and and why, and what what do you? Um, what's your thoughts on effects with trumpet? Yeah, well, I I do use a lot of effects on this album. It's basically just reverb and delay, and it's pretty light. Um, and I've sometimes, you know, when I was going to New York, sometimes I was like, man, the last thing I want to do is pack these effects in my you know, single luggage or something. And it felt almost like it wasn't totally necessary. And we have, as a trio, played some gigs without the effects. But I really love the way that it ends up blending with the guitar. And I love I love the sound of the guitar and trumpet kind of coming from the same reverberant world. And then the bass being much more dry and percussive. Mm. Um, I think it allows mm. Carmen to feel a little bit more present in a weird in a strange way Hmm. um and a little bit more rhythmic like everything she does is just kind of kind of cutting through because it's because it's so dry um and when we've played as a trio without trumpet effects uh it can sound really nice too but uh oftentimes the trumpet and and guitar blend doesn't have that same sort of like warmth and sort of blooming quality Hmm. um that i really like sometimes with the effects yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in, in the recording, I would kind of tweak things a little bit for each track, but ultimately, uh, so I was using um, a mic on the effects and then also a dry mic, and most of it is just, just the dry or, or non-affected mm-hmm. microphone. And so all the effects are pretty subtle, and the differences between each track, I think, is ends up pretty subtle. But I, I just like the way it kind of blends and makes it feel like it's coming from the same world. Yeah, I like it too. It's a good sound. Actually, there are some. I we did some uh, in studio performances for uh, KNKX, which mm-hmm. is a local station here. And I, there were some comments from people on the comment boards of like YouTube videos from those. They were like, "I don't like the trumpet effects. I wish it was more, <laughs> you know, more standard traditional or something." And uh-huh. I can understand that too. You know, it's, yeah. it is a bit different because a lot of people hear this and it is, it is jazz in a way, and and then it's also like a bit different than you know another jazz trio um, mm-hmm. and so I, I can understand that sort of approach sure changing gears here a little mm-hmm. uh, where did you record this i know you rehearsed um out in new york a lot with the rest of the trio but did you record mm-hmm. out in new york as well we did we recorded in brooklyn at a place called studio eight figure eight studio sorry mm-hmm. um and they're as a cool studio they have uh, an upstairs and a downstairs so oftentimes they have two uh, sessions tracking at once. Wow. We recorded with Michael Coleman, who was originally from Oakland, and I know him because he used to play with Jacob Zimmerman when Jacob Zimmerman lived in Oakland, who I believe mm. you guys interviewed. Yep, we did. Um, they're old friends, and then Michael would come to town with his bands when they were doing sort of West Coast tours. Um, and he has uh, this really cool band that I love called Shimshimer Family Trio, or uh, something like that, Shimshimer Family band or something hmm. which is a really cool group and then he moved to new york a few years ago with his family and now he works 
as an engineer at uh, figure eight. So cool. that's how we ended up there. Is he the one that makes the record too? Yes. That's cool. Did you have to stay out in New York for a long uh, a while to uh, work on mixes together with him, or how did? I was just there a couple of days actually, and it was the mixing was pretty fast and painless. Uh, we recorded a full day on Saturday, and then a half day on Sunday, and then mixed the the second half of Sunday. Um, you know, it was just like a lot of work on getting nice sounds, and then once once they were there, it was kind of just pretty minimal effort with the mixing. It's only three instruments and. Yeah. Only a few microphones, really, and then Carmen, I think, was uh, going directly in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it ended up just being like you know a little bit of automation, a little bit of level adjustments from here, cool. here and there. Hmm. And that was it. Yeah. yeah, I'm embarrassed to admit how many times I've done mixing in one day, but it sounds amazing. I had no idea it was done so quickly. Yeah, well, you know, it depends on the on the situation. That does. That's that was true. all in one room, and we wanted it to sound oh, basically yeah, okay. live anyway. And Michael's a great engineer, so he made it fast. But clearly, yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. But it felt nice to walk away from that session with a finished, basically finished product. Were you pretty involved in the mixing, or did you just kind of say, "Here's, here's what we have," and then kind of ask Michael to do it? Yeah, we were all in the same room together, and okay. really, I mean, Michael was doing all the nuts and bolts of compression and sculpting the sounds, but we would say things like, oh, I think the trumpet should be a little warmer, or okay. maybe a little more effects here, or less effects there. Because I know some musicians don't want to have any part in mixing or mastering. Yeah, and, and I others really do. Too. Yeah. yeah. I'm, kinda, I'm a bit of a control freak, so <laughs> I like to be involved at every step of the way, but... Cool. Yeah. And there were some, some strange things. Um, one of my favorite stories about this session is that it was very, very cold in New York. It was the coldest weather I've ever experienced, mm. which is not saying a lot because I've spent my whole life here <laughs> on the West Coast. But uh, it was a, kind of a record um, year, actually. And I think it was like in the tens, teens. Whoa. And Carmen couldn't bring her bass. And I had just arrived to New York. And I get this text from Carmen. And she says... I don't know how we're going to make this session work because I can't take my bass out of my house without it cracking. Whoa. Um, and so we were like trying to think like, hmm. can you just hop in a cab immediately and, and all that stuff. But really there's as, you know, as, as bummed I was at the fact that it might not happen. I did not want to ruin Carmen's bass. Right. Um, and it just so happened that there were two basses that lived at the studio Whoa. because oh, wow. two of the engineers were bassists. So it worked out, but she was playing a bass she was not accustomed to. Hmm. Greg was playing a brand new guitar for him. Wow. And I was playing a brand new trumpet. And so there were a lot of things to the sound that we were sort of getting used to our instruments. And then also in the mixing phase, trying to like, get used to the sounds of those instruments still and sort of you know eq them so that it was wow you know, i would have never no way guessed that that's crazy that's, that's amazing it was kind of a fun part of the whole thing i think yeah, yeah. that's really really cool cool so uh changing gears again uh-huh. i was looking at the track listing and there's two of the songs i think the first one and the last one that you've dedicated to specific people uh-huh What's the story behind that? Well, those people are my brother and sister, and I happen to be a triplet. Whoa. And so that's wow. my brother John and my sister Anna. And the first track is for Anna. It's called Someday. And the last track is called Bluey Tootie. That's for John. And Bluey Tootie was a stuffed animal of his when we were all kids. <laughs> that was like a tiny brown, uh, a tiny blue bear. And he named it Bluey Tootie. And 
uh, he at the time was living in Indonesia and I was missing him a lot. He had been there for four years. And so that's sort of a, a bit of a melancholy and lonely song. And then also I, I like the sort of double meaning of Bluey Tootie being kind of bluesy and also a trumpet song <laughs> with Tootie. Hmm. Um, and so that's the story behind that. And then the first song for my sister... I kind of struggle with the title of this one. It always felt to me like it was for her, but um, she is a is a person who like really thinks about like bettering herself and bettering the world, and uh, really plans for the future and and thinks ahead. and And so I I felt that the name someday fit her at least uh, as a person who's who's just always projecting and and designing. And oh, that's very cool. Yeah, I almost hate to ask, but. Are, what are the future plans for this group or are there future plans for this group or yeah well people I, being in different cities and everything yeah i think the the really cool thing about them moving away and and deciding to continue the band was that i at least for the first time for me it was an opportunity to think about this group as a very long term kind mm. of thing um which you know in the past i've just always thought like month to month with any band and this one is sort of like well, great. We'll perform much less often, but we'll we'll kind of just decide we're going to play for forever, you know, in quotes, as long as we're all in the same place. And so there's no hard plans right now, although they don't know this yet, but I've been thinking about trying to put some sort of tour together either on the East Coast or maybe if I can swing it like out of the country, which I've never done before. Oh, boy. Yeah. So I don't even know how that works, but uh, I, th- I I think it'd be uh, that's that's kind of my next thought. And they just came to town in December, and we did um, another K and KX in studio. And so when they're in town, once in a blue moon, both of them at the same time will play. But um, otherwise, it's a great reason for me to just be making trips out to New York. And, sure is. Yeah. So yes, we will continue. There's nothing really cool. on the horizon, but yeah, very cool. So, Ray, you mentioned at the beginning of the episode something about some singer-songwriter stuff you're doing. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes, sure. Um, I'm working on my first album as a singer. I'm also playing trumpet and some keyboards and auxiliary percussion. Whoa. Um, and then there's a collection of Seattle musicians who are playing some other instruments, violin, cello, bass, harp, stuff like that. Whoa. Um and I am also mixing it right now, which has been a lot of fun um, because I've never done that before. So I was like setting up home studio, doing all this stuff. And uh, I love that kind of work because uh, you're sort of like zero. I love ear training and sort of focusing my ears on things. And it's a totally different type because you're sort of like zeroing in on frequencies and things like that. So I've had a lot of fun with that. But uh, it is probably going to be eight tracks long. There's no working title yet to the album, um, but it's coming out sometime. I used to do a lot of musical theater when I was a kid, and I loved to sing. And then as soon as I became a quote-unquote serious musician, (laughs) I'm practicing the trumpet all the time and that sort of thing, I kind of stopped singing in public because it felt like this thing I wasn't constantly working at or honing or something like that. And it's it's been a lot of fun to sort of come back to that and and work on it and, and... and you know, I also have like a lot of inspiration from bands like The Shins and uh, and Sufjan Stevens and stuff. These are sort of my favorite uh, artists in high school, 
and then in the last year i've i've gotten really turned on to van dyke parks mm. and his like really intense um orchestration and and arrangements and stuff like that uh in his own work so it's kind of inspired by those kind of people and sort of feels like a return to me to my own original uh inspirations that's cool i was gonna ask because i know you're well versed in pretty much most styles of music i mean i've seen you play hip-hop straight ahead jazz more avant-garde jazz sort of almost classical stuff i'm sure you do more than that but i was really curious to see like what direction your singing would go yeah and i'm still curious to hear it but yeah i mean i feel like i'm uh every every track on this album feels pretty different to me in terms of its sort of style and certainly the instrumentation and that sort of thing there's some uh pretty dark songs that are a little more rubato and uh certainly some very bright ones hmm. too and so um i guess i guess to me it feels to my to me it feels like sort of a uh, a response to those particular three artists that i mentioned um but and yet i think that it probably sounds pretty different too to all of those so well, i'm pretty excited to hear it yeah thank you me too Cool. So we're uh, getting close on time here, but before we go, I want to ask you, so where can people come listen to what you're playing um, in the next month or so? Uh Or, yeah, what's coming up for you? Well, if this uh, podcast comes out before next Tuesday, which is uh, March 5th, let me see, March 5th, I think you're correct. I'm playing a Mardi Gras show. That's Mardi Gras Fat Tuesday um, at the Royal Room. And that'll be a lot of fun. Some really great musicians, and it's it's always a party. I I did that. I've done that gig for a few years now, and I was shocked the first time I walked into that room for the sound check because it was already packed, and people were like wearing beads all over the place. <laughs> they were like some groups from New Orleans that had baked cakes and brought them there. Oh wow! And I just don't. I had no idea. First of all, the depth of really, or the history of Mardi Gras, or really what that was about. Or that it could be a huge party in the Pacific Northwest where I've never thought Mardi Gras was really sub- celebrated, uh, or Carnival for that matter. Um, so uh, it, it is a, a real party, um, and nice. so that'll be a fun gig. Uh, Josh, you and I are also playing together in April. That's right. Do you know oh, that, that date off the top of your head? Oh, man. Uh, April 20... April, April 13th. 13th. My phone is Thank telling you. me. Um, and that's at Las Piga. We're going to do three hours of our own, your music and that's some right. jazz, jazz standards. I think it's um, April 27th. We better check our no, calendars really? together. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll take your word for it. April uh-huh. 27th. Uh, and then I'm doing this kind of smattering of gigs with Birch Pereira in March. Cool. Uh, who's a great, um, Singer and bassist, and he's and been on the podcast. Writer. Oh, has he really? Yeah, oh, I didn't have that. as well. Hear that one. Um, so we're doing a, a dance gig, um, uh, a few dance gigs. So if there's anyone uh, out there who's listening who's a dance swing dancer, uh, check out Birch Pereira and the Gin Joints, and you'll find some dates. Nice. Yeah. And then hopefully in the well more distant future, they'll be able to go to RaymondLarson.com as well mm-hmm. and not only check out your awesome music and read about who you are and everything but 
hopefully see where you're performing as well. Yes, correct. I'm going to re-enable the calendar, <laughs> the calendar uh, portion of that website thanks to the two of you for encouraging me to do so. <laughs> okay, cool. We're at about time here. Let's close with Someday, the first track on Tyrant Lizard's Story Time. <laughs> 